So good morning, Eastside family. We want to let our children, ages pre-K through fifth grade, make their way back to junior worship. We so appreciate our children, our children's ministry, and for those that are uh, back there during our worship service and serving our children in that way. want to remind you also of an important aspect of our worship service. It is our offering. And we are offering for you four different opportunities for you or ways that you can worship God with your offering. You can mail your check to the church building. You can give a, um, make an automatic draft through your bank. You can also go online to our website. We have a very easy way. Click on giving and you can give in that way. You can also, um, if you're here in person today, we're welcoming those that are live streaming with us today. But we certainly, if, if you're here in person, there's a basket that you can take, uh, put your contribution in there as well. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Jude 20 and 21. Jude 20 and 21, I want to say to um, Ben and Reese, thank you so much for uh, leading us in communion this morning and for volunteering to do that. Actually, Ben is going to be leading the devotional tonight in our, in our small group gathering of our teenagers. And I said to him, man, you got communion today, you got small group tonight, you're kind of like moving in on my job, which actually wouldn't be too bad of an idea. Really, really proud of them and uh, getting up here and serving. I also just want to say... Uh, as, as we prayed for, for Donna Anderson, Donna, we're so glad to have you here today. Your church family loves you. And church, we want to surround Donna and her family this Thursday at 4.30. We'll be here celebrating uh, an incredible life of, of an encourager and such a, a strong man of faith, her husband, Lowell, who passed away. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. And also, Jenny Matthews probably would be a little bit embarrassed, but she has been on an crazy, if you thought to her, an absolutely crazy journey of, of physical breakdown and issues and problems, but she's back there now. And so, Jenny, we're absolutely delighted to have you here. So before, before we get started, I want to go to that life group slide, Richard. Before we get started, I want to remind you again, I mentioned it last week, but this is one of the most important ministries in our church. It is our life group ministry, and a life group is basically the gathering of small groups throughout the town in various homes. Some of them meet here at the building in various places, and it's all for the purpose of groups of 10 to 15 to 20 getting together to, to study the Bible, to encourage one another, to support one another, to pray one another. Some of some our groups sing together, some of them uh, eat together. I, I really believe this is where true, or I could say authentic church takes place. And so if you're not in a group, we want to really encourage you as we start promoting the groups. So we're thinking about that. But today, I want to encourage you, we need more groups. And if we need more groups, then we need more people who will step up and say, I'll be happy to open my home. I'll be happy to be a leader or a co-leader of a group. But I'm not sure exactly what that means. There'll be those of us who work with our life group ministry. You'll see that picture back there by the sign um, at, at a table in the far ear. I want to encourage you to um, stop by and say, hey, what would it mean for me to be a, a leader of my home or a co-leader in a life group? We'd love for you to stop by. Let's read verses 20 and 21 in Jude. But you, dear friends, remember I love the translation could be you, loved ones of God. By building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait 
for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. I realize that for some of you it seems as though I'm stretching out just a little bit this series in Jude. And if it seems that way to you, it's, it's because, well, <laughs> well, I am. I, um, as I worked through Jude last year, studying this letter, which is also called the biggest little book ever, I found so many, not only practical or helpful truths, but relevant truths that I needed to hear, and I was convinced that we as a church needed to hear, and it's just something that I felt like we cannot rush through this, there's too much here. And this is incredibly true for what we're going to be looking at this morning here in verse 20. In my personal studies last year as I was working my way through Jude, and I came to verse 20, and I came to this phrase that said, pray in the Holy Spirit, I just stopped. Because sometimes, you know, you read, you see something, you don't really know what it means, but you just keep on going. I thought, what, what really does that mean? And I spent the good part of more than two weeks wrestling with that thought. I went everywhere I could in Scripture to try to figure out what in the world is he talking about praying in the Holy Spirit. I, I went and read what other authors are writing about the, the idea of praying in the Holy Spirit. And that's actually a whole lot that is written. I found some really good audio lessons of some respected teachers that I, I like to listen to. And I listened to what they had to say. And, and I got out my journal. I began to journal and write down everything I could about what does it, what is exactly is Jude talking about there. And my whole idea behind it wasn't so that I could prepare a sermon. When I'm reading on my own at home, it isn't to prepare sermons for you guys, it's to prepare sermons for me. I want to learn, I want to know, I want to grow. And I felt as though there was something here that God had to teach me and I wasn't leaving this until I figured out what it was. The Welsh theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote these words, praying in the spirit is the secret of true prayer. If we do not pray in the Spirit, then we really don't pray. Another author, I didn't write down his name, I found this quote in my journal, but I didn't put the name of the guy that wrote this. If we're not praying in the Holy Ghost, now he's borrowing King James language there, in the Holy Spirit. If we're not praying in the Holy Ghost, then we are praying in the flesh, and it's a waste of time. Oswald Chambers, the famous famous Scottish evangelist wrote these words, spiritual leaders should know the experience of praying in the spirit as part of their daily walk. And so I read these three statements and I thought, this is huge. I need to somehow figure this out. What does it mean for me to pray in the spirit? And so my, my studies lead, led me through a, a self-evaluation of my prayer life. Church, I believe, I believe that praying, the discipline of praying is one of the most, if not the most important aspects and disciplines of a Christian's life. But I believe sometimes we pull away from that and we get out of the habit of it. And sometimes we need a renewal of our prayer life. Sometimes we need to, um, just a reawakening to it or, or a self-evaluation 
what it means to be a people who pray, and specifically here, pray in the Holy Spirit. So I want to spend two weeks helping us reevaluate our prayer life. And here specifically, from Jude's perspective, of praying in the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, what about you? How's your prayer life? When do you pray? How do you pray? Why do you pray? Do you pray? Is your prayer life vibrant and consistent? Is it mediocre? How would you rank your prayer life on a scale of 1 to 10? I think I gave that to you to discuss in your life groups. And why would you put it there? Are there things in your prayer life that definitely need to change? And the question really I want to ask you, do you pray in the Holy Spirit? Now, to help me kind of wrap my brain, I mean, I cannot tell you how many notes and how much I was learning. I took everything and I kind of consolidated it down to and categorized it into two, two themes, two questions that I kept asking myself. I kept asking myself these two questions. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? And then secondly, once you figure that out, then how do you do that? How, how do you pray? What does it mean? And so next week, we're going we're gonna to look at what the Bible says about how to pray in the Holy Spirit. All I want to do today is explain to you what I learned about what does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you five answers. The first three are we're going to take from the larger context of the New Testament. And then the second two answers, appropriately, we're going to let Jude, since he's the one that brought it up, we're going to let him define it in the context of the book of Jude. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Number one is what I learned. Pray Praying in the Holy Spirit is praying by the leading, the enabling, and the help of the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit is praying by the leading, the enabling, and the help of the Holy Spirit. This is a really interesting passage, and, and I'm touching on these and I'm moving on. So you might write these down and, and do further study on your own or unpack them in your life groups. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes these words. He says, I will pray with my spirit... But I will also pray with my mind. Or some of your translations say understanding. So I got two things at play. I got my mind, I got my spirit. And then he goes on to write, I will sing with my spirit, which is another form of praying. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind. Now, I believe here in that passage that the spirit that he's referring to there is the Holy Spirit. And therefore, some people who would agree with me on that would say what Jude is referring to is what the 1 Corinthians 14 context is all about, what they call glossolalia. And that means to pray in the Holy Spirit. That means to pray in tongues. And while that indeed is the context of 1 Corinthians 14, I don't think that's what Jude is speaking of at all. But I can say that from this passage in 1 Corinthians 14, praying in the Holy Spirit means it's praying with his involvement. Somehow he's a part of that. He is, he is leading you in that. He is enabling you in that. And it's not just something that you do in your mind. Many of you know the passage in Romans chapter 8 and verses 26 through 27 that it says that in our times of weakness, it says the Holy Spirit helps us and intercedes. That's, that's another word we use for prayer. And intercedes for us when we pray. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? It means to pray by the help of the Holy Spirit. It means to pray by His leading. It means to pray by His enabling. He is involved in that. Do you consider that when you pray? Secondly, I believe that praying in the Holy Spirit is praying under the control of the Spirit. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, he's speaking of the, the believer's prayer as it relates to, to as expressed in worship and in song. And he tells them there, he says, don't get drunk on wine. And he gives an alternative to getting drunk on wine. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so instead of being controlled by the substance of alcohol, he calls the believers to be filled with and to be controlled by the Holy Spirit as they pray and as they worship. Clearly, the Spirit is to play an active role, here even a controlling role role in our worship and prayers what does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit it means to pray under the control of the Spirit and that just leads to all kinds of questions doesn't it I'm touching it and moving on number three I believe that praying in the Holy Spirit means to pray in the power of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 we see a very similar word that is used he calls the church there to pray in the Spirit and he's using that in the context of spiritual warfare. Remember, Jude is teaching us how to fight for the faith against attacks that are coming our way. So is Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. And as he speaks of spiritual warfare, and he speaks of the battles that come our way and the need to put on the spiritual armor. He says this in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the armor of God. This is really important. Put on the armor of God so that... You can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That tells me if I don't put on the full armor of God, if I don't have his strength, I will not take my I will not be able to stand against the devil's schemes. The spiritual forces of evil are much greater than we are. He says, our put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And I continue reading from verse 10. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not simply a physical fight that we're up against. But as he says, it's against spiritual forces of evil. Church, I'm convinced of this. There are spiritual forces of evil that are attacking your life and your family, that are attacking my life and my family, and that I can clearly see that are coming against our church. And there are much more than physical forces. Behind them is a spiritual world that is at work to bring us down. We must therefore pray. For when we pray, Ephesians 6 then says, we are strong in his mighty power. I'm convinced of this. Without the combative weapon of prayer, we will not stand. For it is prayer that engages the work of the Holy Spirit. You ever read the book of Acts and thought, good grief, I wish I could live a Christian life like that. There was such incredible revival and incredible activity of God working so powerfully so how in the world can I experience it how in the world can the church experience that really the book of Acts though it's entitled Acts of the Apostles you rather it's better entitled it Acts of the Holy Spirit because what you see in the book of Acts is not the disciples doing all these incredible things it's the Holy Spirit of God working powerfully through disciples as they were doing two things it's really simple to remember the disciples were praying and obeying that's incredible. Read the book of Acts and you'll see prayer, prayer, prayer constantly coming up. Fervent prayer. And then they were stepping out in obedience to the commands of God and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as they did so, it says their world was shaken. They turned their world upside down for Christ. Not because they did, but because their prayerfulness engaged the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, if we will figure out what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit, we can relive the incredible story of the book of Acts and to an even greater 
degree because prayer engages the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? So so we've looked at the broader context in in the New Testament. Let's hone in now and let Jude tell us. As a matter of fact, this term, this phrase, pray in the Holy Spirit, it's exclusive, it's unique in Scripture only to Jude. So there's something Jude, I think, wants us to see here. There's two things I see that Jude is telling us about what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. First of all, and I could have made it shorter. I, I never took a course in school about how to have really good sermon points. But here's my long, drawn-out point. Praying in the Holy Spirit is praying out of hearts and souls that are indwelt, illuminated, and filled by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you how I get this. I see in verse 20, he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Well, you don't pull that out and let's walk over here and figure out what it means. Put it in its context. Right before he talks about praying in the Holy Spirit, in verse 19, he talks about those individuals that we've looked at a lot in this letter who were the negative influences who had slipped into the church and were working to actually break down to the church, though they thought perhaps they were working for the good of the church. And of them, he writes in verse 19, they follow mere natural instincts and listen to this and do not have the spirit so that tells me it's very likely in the church to whom Jude had sent this letter you got people in the church that are praying and because of the influence they were having and because of the way he describes them you get the impression they had some leadership teaching roles in the church so it's likely they were leading prayers in the church but not in the Holy Spirit because they didn't have the Spirit. But they were influencing people in the church. So that tells me it's likely they had some really impressive prayers. It's likely they had some very, some very eloquent prayers worded beautifully. But the Holy Spirit was not a part of that. Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7. He speaks of religious hypocrites. That means people who were just fake in their Christian walk. They weren't real. And he speaks to them. He says, oh, they, they have very long, eloquent prayers. They, they use the right prayer language. They use the right prayer posture. They have the right emotions. They have the right prayer voice. You ever notice sometimes there's folks that they talk like they normally talk, and all of a sudden when they switch into prayer, all of a sudden they have this beautiful prayer language or prayer voice, and you hear that and you think, oh my goodness, that is so spiritual. And Jesus says that could be just one big show. If it's void of the Holy Spirit. You hear someone pray. And you think man. He's got the Spirit. Spirited prayers. Spirited worship. Is not necessarily prayers. And worship. In the Holy Spirit. There can be a lot of emotional. Religious fervor. It can be impressive. It can be attractive. It can grab your attention. It can be influential. But that doesn't necessarily mean. It's being led by the powerful working. Of the Holy Spirit. And so Jude is warning his readers here. Because that's what was going on. In the church to whom he sent this letter. He says don't be taken into that. And in contrast to those who are spiritually involved in the activity of the church, but void of the Spirit, you as Spirit-filled believers, you pray in the Holy Spirit. And then finally, number five, we see in Jude that prayer in the Holy Spirit. And you know, if I only were given one point to make today, everything else was kind of like setting the stage for what I want to say right now. 
because I think this is incredibly relevant to, to the Jews' readers, and it's incredibly relevant to us. Prayer in the Holy Spirit, church, it is our combative weapon against the attacks on our faith in the church. And you see this, you see this in the overall context of Jude, which is his message, Jude's message is church, we need to rise up and fight for the faith. And here in verses 20 through 23, where he's telling us how to fight for the faith, he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. That is your combative weapon in fighting for the faith. Our community and our internet are are filled with with these um, self-defense classes or courses on karate or judo and how to respond. You can see videos of this world internet. It's full of videos. What to do if you're walking across a parking lot and you get attacked in Walmart. All kinds of ideas of how we're supposed to fight, how we're supposed to combat and come against people that are, are coming against us. But Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. I think we need to hear that, church, because I sense as though there are many Christians that are fighting like the world fights, and they're not praying. That's our combative weapon, either by their behavior or by their speech. The Apostle Paul, in agreement with Jude, tells us in in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, the weapon against our adversary, the weapon against our enemy, Is prayer. And so in that context, he writes, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That's how we fight. Is that how you fight? When you've been hurt? When somebody's coming against you? Let me me ask you, when I say the word enemy, who comes to mind? Don't, Don't say it out loud. Do you have an enemy? We all do, don't we? That person that's hurt you? That person that's hurting you? That person that's making your life miserable? That person that insists on wearing masks? Or that person that insists on not wearing masks? And there's a disagreement? It's div- that's crazy, but that stuff is dividing people. That person of a different political persuasion than you, and you're coming against one another. Who's the person that you think of that you're at odds with right now? And Jesus says, you mean to tell you what you do when you have a person like that in your life? Jesus says in Matthew 6, here's what you do. You, you pray for them. That person that's hurting you, that person that's coming against you, Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Church, that's how you fight back. That's how we respond to hurt. My personal experience, I find it incredibly difficult to hold hard feelings and animosity towards someone when I'm lifting up their name in prayer. You should give it a try. You say, I- I've been praying for them, Eddie, and nothing, they're not changing. Listen, when you pray for those who have hurt you, who are hurting you, you pray for those who are your enemy, it may or may not change them, but I guarantee you this, it will change you. That's God's objective in your life. 
In anticipation, later on in Mark 14, Jesus is with his disciples. You know the story. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane and talking about an enemy on the prowl making an attack against Jesus and disciples. It was getting ready to happen. And Jesus did not say to his disciples, okay, guys, let's load up. Let's sharpen our swords. Let's get ready for practicing our punches and let's get ready with some retaliatory words against them when they come up to us and speak against us. He says to his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. That's how you prepare for and respond when somebody has come against you. So that tells me, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The inverse of that is, if you don't watch and pray, then you will fall to temptation. It's really not complicated. The degree, I'm convinced of this, I said it last week, as we immerse ourselves in the word of God, I'll say it about prayer this week, the degree to which you pray, I'm convinced of this, is the degree to which you will stand or fall in the midst of an attack, in the midst of temptation. The degree to which this church collectively prays is the degree to which we will stand or fall as well. Church, I think we need to hear this. Because I believe that Jude's mention here in his letter of attacks and coming against the Christian faith and against the Christian church, I don't think it's for us just something hypothetical or theoretical. It is becoming more and more clear to me that our church at Eastside and its members are under attack. Because I have no other way to explain some things that I'm seeing. I believe in a larger setting, the church and Christian faith in our nation as well is under attack. And it's not just the physical things you think of when I say that, but behind it all are spiritual forces of evil that are driving it and that are much more powerful than we are on our own. We are seeing so many controversial issues in our nation, in our community, and they're seeping into the church. And the enemy is using them to divide us and to discourage us, to drive us off, and ultimately to defeat us. We need to quit griping about complaining about, gossiping about, arguing about, worrying about, posting about these issues of disagreement that are currently so pervasive in our world, in our church, for by doing so, we are simply playing right into the hand of the enemy. I hear in the letter of Jude, as spirit-filled people, with the help of the Spirit, under the control of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, we need to go to our knees and fight with the combative weapon of prayer in the Holy Spirit. If we will pray in the Spirit and couple with what we learned last week and build ourselves up in the most holy faith, rooted in the Word of God. Scripture says in Ephesians 6, that's also our weapon, the sword of the Spirit, with the combative weapons of the sword of the Spirit, and prayers in the Holy Spirit. We will, like Isaiah said to God's people in his day, the forces of evil, there will be no, no instruments forged against us that will be able to prevail. 
I don't know about you, but I think you'd probably agree. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of divisive talk. A lot of critical talk about concerns in our nation. And about concerns in our church. And I wonder. I wonder what could happen. I wonder what would happen if we spent less time talking about these things to one another, against one another, about one another, and spent more time praying to God regarding our concerns. I believe we would see the very change that we want to see in our church and in our nation, and most certainly we would see change in our own walks of faith. Church, in the fight for the faith, let us hear this morning God's word to the church. Pray in the Holy Spirit. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore in all the church said amen let's pray I, I want to pray in the spirit right now whatever it means we want to pray in the Holy Spirit under your control with your help with your empowering as your spirit filled people we rededicate and recommit ourselves to be a people of prayer. And Father, as we think about fighting, our hearts are, I don't know the right word to use, are heavy, incredibly broken over what is going on in Afghanistan. And so we pray with the weapons of prayer and the Holy Spirit, Lord God, that you would, you would work and move in mighty ways to protect those people there. You would work in mighty ways to raise up your church and may it be a, an incredible force to bring resolution and hope to an incredibly crazy story. We pray for those who are regarded as the enemy in Afghanistan. We pray for their hearts to be open to know Jesus Christ as Lord. We pray for the receptivity of people who'd be willing to risk their lives to take Jesus to them. And I guess you might consider this a little bit of a selfish prayer, but I want to pray for, for my children and grandchildren in Baton Rouge as they're facing an incredible uh, hurricane. It's headed that way it's right now. A lot of fear, a lot of anxiety over the people in Baton Rouge, God. May they sense your closeness. May you watch over them. May you protect them. So, Father, we want to put into practice what we preach. And so, in a moment, we're going to stand. And I, I ask that you would hear our prayers offered to you through this song. And, Father, I know there are a number of us here who carry incredibly heavy burdens... And difficulties and we need to pray and so we come before you and I, I pray Father our shepherds that you will use them to, to pray with the members of our church that are here today we come before you to truly be a house of prayer let's stand together and continue in prayer hey I'm Eddie White the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ 
Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.